I was thinking in the last couple of days about the soccer season. The soccer season started yesterday, and the Premier season starts next week. It's only a, there's only been a break of about six six weeks. It's incredible. I mean, this is the middle of the cricket season. About today with the rain, but it, it's surprising that they've started soccer again with only such a small break. 12th of August they started the season this year. And I was listening to a program the other day about soccer and about people who follow soccer and soccer fans and things. And it was quite incredible listening to it. There were some characters who wouldn't paint, use red paint because they didn't support, uh, I think it was in Liverpool, and they, they, they didn't support it, they supported Everton, isn't it, in Liverpool as well. And, and this guy wouldn't paint anything for any customer red. He had this aversion to painting anything red because it was the opposite side's colour. He was quite a serious builder, this fellow. And there were other people who, fathers would hardly talk to sons because they, they followed different soccer teams. I mean, it was quite an eye-opener. And also the fact that from once the match was over on Saturday and Sunday, all they were doing was waiting for the next soccer match to come. I mean, it just, they just lived from one soccer match literally to the next. It just it was an amazing program. This fanatical support that soccer teams have, it's, it's just incredible. Uh, unreasonable c- conduct. I'm always amazed when I when I look at the grown men who and all the little kids with them who have these shirts. They've bought these the, the, this rig out, and it costs a fortune. And grown men going around wearing football jerseys for their team, it, it just baffles me. It's a kind of mass hysteria, and there's total allegiance. If we could get the same allegiance and hysteria. <laughs> into churches but it has become a religion this I'm convinced it has become a substitute for religion this allegiance to football clubs there's always a need with them to look forward to the next match the next match the next thing and I I noticed this even with people years ago when we were involved in various things that chaps would have they'd organise a dinner or something and all they were saying we'd have to have another one yeah, that was very successful, we'll have another one they always had to have something to look forward to you were laughing last week with my little bits of poems that I learned when I was a kid, but there was one we used to say, in pleasure's broken cisterns, I sought to quench my thirst but blinded by the devil's wiles I knew not they were burst and that is the trouble with these I'm not against people enjoying themselves at soccer matches and rugby matches I enjoy them myself but I, when they take over one's life they will never satisfy us they'll never we'll never be satisfied and let's look at Jeremiah and a few longish portions I think I'm going to read Jeremiah chapter 2 And we have the picture here that I'm talking about. And God is saying to Israel that they must repent. And I'll just read a few verses. Jeremiah chapter 2, and we start reading at just the first verse. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I 
remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend thee, shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the, of the families of the house of Israel. He was saying to them, you know, you were terrific. You followed me. You, you did what I, I told you to do. The kindness of thy youth and the love of thine espousals when thou wentest after me in the wilderness. You followed me. And you, you, you did what I wanted. And then he says, O house of Jacob, thus said the Lord in verse 5, What iniquity have your fathers found in me that they have gone afar away from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain. He says, what's happened? What's happened to you that you've changed? Is it anything I've done? But he says, you've walked after vanity and are become vain. One other translation says, you've walked after worthlessness and you've become worthless. And the word used there for vanity is a vapour. And he says, you've gone after something that you can't grasp hold of, and you haven't attained it. Solomon says, you're like chasing the wind. Chasing the wind. You've gone after vanity, and you've tried to grasp it, and you can't. But you've become vain, he says. You've gone after things which are unattainable. And he says, why? Why? Is it anything? He says in verse 7, I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. I brought you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And what happened when you got there? You left me. You forsook me. But you know, even after that, in verse 9, God says something very poignant. He says, I will yet plead with you, said the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. God will always plead with us to come back to him. And when we fail him, when we chase after something which he doesn't want us to chase after, something which is unattainable, something which is worthless, and we have become worthless, he still says, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord. And with your children's children will I plead. But he says, the difficulty is, in verse 13 is what we've been saying, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. I am the fountain of living waters. And we know that Jesus said that he was the... Uh, the one who could supply water so that we would never thirst again. He says in verse 13, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. That's what you're saying. In pleasures broken cisterns, I sought to quench my thirst, but blinded by the devil's wiles, I knew not they were burst. And that was the situation that God saw with Israel. And that's what he sees when he looks down at our lives perhaps sometimes. He sees that we are trying to chase things which are unattainable. Trying to catch the wind, Solomon said. I think that's a good one. Trying to chase the wind. 
catch the wind. But we spend a long time trying to do it. Another bit I wanted to look at was Second Kings. Second Kings. It's going back to Israel again. What had happened with Israel? Second Kings, chapter seventeen. And this is a, a sad episode here. And we read from verse one, a few verses. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hoshea the son of Elah to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord but not as the kings of Israel that were before him against him came up Shalmaneser king of Assyria and Hoshea became his servant and gave him presents he became the, 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 king, of, the king of Assyria came up and he succumbed Hoshea succumbed to him and he paid tribute taxes to the king of of Assyria. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hoshea because he had sent messengers to Saul, king of Egypt, and brought no present to the king of Assyria. He, he tried to make an allegiance with the king. The king of Israel tried to make allegiance with the king of Egypt. And that was against God's rulings. That was the situation. These were the children of God. And Egypt always speaks of the world and sin. And the people of Israel had come up out of Egypt. But here he was trying to make an allegiance with Israel, with Egypt again. But the king of Assyria found out. Then the king of Assyria in verse 5 came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. And in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and in Habor by the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. And this was the northern kingdom. Israel, you know, was divided. You remember it was divided after Solomon's death into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was eventually taken and brought to Babylon. But this was the northern kingdom, Israel. Israel was taken to Assyria and taken up out of Samaria. And so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh the king of Egypt and had feared other gods and walked in the statutes of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God as if they could do things secretly but they thought God wouldn't see them and they did these things secretly. And they had groves where they worshipped idols and they burnt incense in high places and they made their children be sacrificed to the gods and all this thing. And they had turned to evil ways. And because of that, God had now said, I will allow this king to take them away to another country. And verse 15. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers, and his testimonies which he testified against them. And here we are again. Here was the trouble. They followed vanity, 
and became vain. Exactly what we were reading in Jeremiah. And went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. They went after false gods and they became false. That's another translation said that. Instead of saying they followed vanity and became vain, they say they went after false gods and they became false. Same thing. The others had gone after something which was worthless and they'd gone after that which was worthless. They went after worthlessness and become worthless. They walked after vanity and had become vain. These people walked after false idols and they've become false. It was the old story again and again and again. They'd gone back into the world. They'd gone back copying what they had seen in the land of Egypt and with the people round about them. And God allowed them to be taken. And you know, we don't hear much. Israel never came back out of that captivity. Never came back. We don't know. People don't know what happened. They just were dispersed all over the place. They, they still talk about the lost ten tribes. They, they never came back. Like the, 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 the southern kingdom, Judah, and uh, came back from captivity. You remember how they came back in Nehemiah, all the rebuilding the temple and all that. But that, was a, that wasn't the northern. The northern tribes never came back. And what happened their land? Well, here's what happened their land. This is an amazing story. We, we looked at this a few years ago. But I was drawn to it again just last night. Verse 24. The king of Assyria brought from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and the rest of places. And he brought people and he brought them and settled them in Samaria. It was a plantation. You know, those of us who live in Ireland are familiar with the plantation of Ulster. What happened after there, there, were, there were two uh, chiefs in the north around the 1600s. O'Neill and O'Donnell, the chiefs of Ulster, and they fled their lands. And the lands were confiscated by the British, and they planted Scottish and north of England people into Northern Ireland. They did a little bit down in Connacht as well, in Munster as well, and a little bit around Dublin. But the main plantation, it was called the Plantation of Ulster nothing to do with trees, it was people they planted, they planted them in all the good lands, they put the, the, the native Irish out of their lands and they all moved up into the hills and the, the, the people from Scotland and from north of England were put into the lands in Northern Ireland and that started all the trouble because these people they became were Ulster Scots, you had this Ulster Scot connection, the North of England connection and they were mainly Protestants and then you had the conflict started from there, right back from those days. And those people, there was always antagonism between the people who had been put out of their land and the people who had been put in, in, in their place. And some of the livery companies in London had been given large tracts of land also in, uh, in Northern Ireland. So there we have it. And this same thing happened here. These people were put in, they were taken from their own land and brought to Samaria and put in. And that's why the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You know that story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, that's why the Jews never liked these people. Because they had been put into their land. The Jews and the Samaritans didn't get on. And that's why these people were planters. In any case, they, they put these people in and then this, this is a, 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 a story 
when they came in verse 26 and no, 25 and it was so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord therefore the Lord sent lions among them there was a plague of lions came and started killing off these people amazing story and they didn't know what to do but they, they, what they did they spoke to the king of Assyria and they said the nations that you removed and you placed us in the cities of Samaria these people we don't know the manner of the God of the land we don't know the, the God of the land here is obviously annoyed with us and therefore he hath sent lions among us and they slay us because the God of the, the land is, is angry with us and you know what the, the, the king of Assyria said well I tell you what we'll get a priest one of the priests that we have taken and put in the other country we'll get him to go back and he will teach the people the laws of God so a priest was sent back to Samaria and then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria he came and dwelt in Bethel which is the house of God and taught them how they should fear the Lord he taught them how they were to worship God and then what happened was everything alright no how be it every nation made gods of their own and put them in their houses and in the high places which the Samaritans had made and every nation so what they did every man still worshipped his own God but in verse 32 it says so they feared the Lord and made unto themselves the lowest of them priests of the high places which sacrificed for them in the houses of the place they feared the Lord and served their own gods that's like people today they say they worship God but they worship God the way they think they should worship God they feared the Lord and serve their own gods. Isn't it, isn't it just like the way it is today? They fear, people will say, oh, but I believe in God, but I believe that the way I, uh, you know, I can work out what my beliefs are. And I'm happy with those. They say they fear God, but they worship in the way that they think is right. And you know, funny thing, there's a thing came in the other day about the Pope. The thing about the Pope about what he believes. And here's what he said. We firmly believe that Christ is the world's only Saviour. Terrific. We believe that too. We firmly believe that Christ is the world's only Saviour. But then he adds, in the light of this truth, the church does not hold in contempt what man may accomplish through diverse religious expressions to approach God and receive his purification. Oh yes, we believe that Jesus Christ is the only answer. He's the only saviour of the world. But other people, he says, we won't hold in contempt what man may accomplish through diverse religious expressions to approach God and receive his purification. He's having it both ways. You can't have it both ways. You can't compromise like that. Either Jesus Christ is the only saviour of the world. And it is only through him that we are saved. 
But he says, no, the other, other religions too, God will purify these people through their own religions. We can't compromise like that. And that's what these people were doing. They feared the Lord and they served their own gods. Compromise doesn't work. God says, be still and know that I am God. There's only one God. The Bible says all the gods of the nations are idols. People feel the need to do things. To keep themselves busy. To have constant noise and crowds around them. It's a terribly noisy world. You know, you only... This, I'm amazed at this craze with everybody listens to music. When we were 12 and 13 year olds, we weren't interested in music. There obviously wasn't the same amount of music around in those days, but I wouldn't have been interested in listening. I'd be out playing football. But kids now, you see them in the town, they're buying pop magazines, they're buying things about their idols. It's, it's a very insidious thing. And there has to be noise. Because people feel that if they can keep themselves busy, well, what does Solomon say? He was, the, he was a wise man. And in Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Solomon says some very wise things. How does he find out? In, Solomon, in, in Ecclesiastes 1, 17 and 18, it says... I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit, chasing the wind, he says. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. He said, I tried to, to try and find out the secret of life, and I decided I'd learn as much as I could. But the more I learned, he says, the more I wanted to learn, it annoyed me. In chapter 2, he says something else, in verses 4 to 6. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all ki- in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and made concubines, and many concubines, man's delight. And I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had spent in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He had sat down, and he had worked out what he was going to do, he had plenty of money, And all the things that I did there, he made great works, he built houses, he planted vineyards, he made gardens and parks and beautiful places for people to walk in. He planted forests. He even got involved with sex and concubines. He got singers, the things we were talking about a minute ago. He collected gold and silver and beautiful things. And then he sat down one day and he looked at it all and he says, it's just like chasing the wind this. The more I do, the more I want. He had a thousand wives in the end. <laughs> There's always a thirst 
If we are doing things in this type of lifestyle, just for to our own pleasure, there's always a broken system. In pleasures, broken systems, I sought to quench my thirst. But blinded by the devil's wiles, I knew not they were burst. What did Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then everything else will fall into place. Nearly finished. In John chapter uh, 7, 37, we looked at it a few weeks ago, when Jesus stood at the last day of the feast, and when they had these processions with the water, they used to bring the water from the, the pool of Siloam and bring it to the temple and pour it over the altar or someplace there. And Jesus at the last day, he saw this procession passing and he stood up and he said, In the last day, in that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of water. He says, if you want to be satisfied, you have to come to me. He said to the woman at the well, Jesus gave her water that was not in the well. She went away singing. She came back bringing others for the water that was not in the well. Jesus still gives water that is not in the well. To those who come believing and his word receiving, he gives the heavenly water that is not in the well. Jesus says in Matthew, Come unto me, all you who are labor, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for, my, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest. The world is restless. People are restless. They have to be doing something. They can't sit down. The Bible says, be still and know. Sit down and listen and think about God. But the world is restless. Psalm 107 it says, For he satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. And Paul writing to Colossians he says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ is, who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death. Treat it as dead. Let heaven fill your thoughts, is what the Living Bible says. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Set your mind on things which are above, not on things that are on the earth. Broken systems. Chasing the wind.